Very good evening from me to all of you. Welcome. Uh, I'm Tim, also one of the many vicars. We seem to have vicars coming out of our ears in this place, but I'm one of them, and it's a pleasure to say hi, and glad to be here. I hope you're glad to be here. Very welcome, and happy Christmas, if that's not a bit too premature. So in the light of our stage set and our theme uh, this year, I've been wondering, I've been wondering about what people are wondering about. And um, of course, the thing you do when you're in that position is you approach your good friend slash enemy, Mr. Google, and uh, you type in, uh, I'm wondering. And uh, it's, it's intriguing, isn't it, how Mr. Google loves to finish your sentences for you. Uh, and so I typed in, I wonder if, and as soon as I had, it was interesting to see what came up, slightly disconcerting, because I think they're personalized to us, aren't they? Mr. Google knows a lot about <laughs> us. But one of the answers that came up was, I wonder if clouds ever look down on us and say, hey, look, that one's shaped like an idiot. <laughs> I tried some other I wonders, and Mr. Google suggested, I wonder whether the guy who coined the term one-hit wonder came up with any other phrases. I wonder how many calories I burn when I run away from my problems. I wonder how long it takes a giraffe to throw up. And <laughs> it's amazing how you can get distracted. But uh, amidst, obviously, the very trivial and uh, amusing wonderings, I saw plenty of serious ones, of course. Things that most of us, at some time or another, wonder about. Serious things, things about life and things about death and things about the future and things about uncertainty and meaning and identity and who are we and where are we going and what's it all about and relationships and including these ones. I wonder if I will always feel alone. I wonder if anyone really knows the real me. I wonder if anyone loves the real me. I think you'd agree, not just academic theoretical questions from the kind of uh, the philosophy class, but real enough questions. They're all part of our normal human desire, yours and mine, to know if our lives count for anything, to discover what's true, to discover who we are, to discover things that we'd love to know, things that make us feel accepted and happy and fulfilled and secure and so on. Christmas is a really compelling invitation to wonder, isn't it? Wonder in both senses of that word, to wonder, to marvel at things, as well as wonder to, to ponder, to reflect, to question about stuff. Because I reckon that we'd all recognize, wouldn't we, that, that beneath the tinsel and beneath the turkey and beneath the pretty terrible TV, actually underneath all of that weight of stuff which Christmas involves and represents, as good and important as it all is, there lies a simple story that simply can't be ignored. Because it's not just about angels, and it's not just about shepherds, and it's not just about donkeys, it's not just about a young Palestinian couple, it's not actually just about a baby. The thing is, it's about you and me. We're part of the story as well. Because whatever you currently, we currently believe about that story, it directly addresses those most profound and deep wonderings and those biggest questions that we have in one form or another. It's God's answer to those things, whether we've accepted that answer, whether we've rejected it, whether we haven't seriously thought about it yet. From the really cosmic, massive, does God exist and if he does, what's he really like kind of questions, down to the much more personal, the much more intimate, am I alone? Does anybody really know the real me? Does anybody really love the real me? 
And this simple world's changing story plus 2,000 years of Christian experience say yes, emphatically yes. God is very great. He's also very good. He's very powerful. He's also very personal. His love is not a theory. It's a life-changing reality. So here is a Christmas question for you. You won't find it in any of the crackers you open on Tuesday. How much do you know, really know, the wonder of his love? To pinch a line from one of the carols that we've just sung. How much do you know of the wonder of this loving God? Wherever your starting point is, wherever you've got to, are you growing in the experience of being loved by God, that power in his love to transform lives, our life, your life, and the life of the world around us. See, the Christmas story tells of a God who is enormous. He's very great. We've been singing about that as well. Amazingly, worshipping a great God, creator of the universe, so far beyond our, our imagining, so majestic. Would you imagine, just for a moment, would you take an imaginary Malteser, just hold it in your hand right there? I'm sorry, they're not real, by the way. I thought you would have eaten it by now if I handed them out. Otherwise, it, things could have got really messy. So, so here's your little imaginary uh, Malteser in your hand, uh, and that's planet Earth. And there we all are tonight, somewhere on that little ball of cosmic Malteser dust in your hand. Spinning at about 800 miles an hour, I think, orbiting the sun at about 67,000 miles an hour. The sun right at the center of our solar system in volume, about a million Earth's worth. It's quite an enticing prospect to think of a million Maltesers. A million Earths fit into the sun. And the sun, just one star in our solar system, lying as it does in a little corner of the Milky Way galaxy, galaxy that has something like 300 billion stars in it. And then the Milky Way itself, just a, a, a small microscopic subdivision of the known universe with something like another two or three hundred billion galaxies in it. Isaiah had it right. Lift up your eyes. Look to the heavens, he says. Who created all these? God calls each of them by name. Because of his great power, not one of them is missing. Here's a famous picture taken in 1990 by Voyager 1 from about 3.7 billion miles away, just at, the edge, just at the edge of our solar system, just ours. It's a bit like looking at your Malteser from New York, I reckon, something like that. There it is. Pale blue dot, it's called. Famous picture. That's planet Earth marked right there, the pale blue dot. The, the commander of the NASA project said this. He said, from this distant vantage point, the Earth might not seem of particular interest, but for us, it's different. Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who ever was has lived out their lives here. The sum total of human joy and suffering, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother, every father, every hopeful child, Every saint and sinner in the history of our species has lived here, so do you and I, on this little speck of dust suspended in a sunbeam. Tim, you're making us feel very small tonight. 
I'm not trying to make us feel small. We are very small. Seen like that, are we not? But very, very significant. Just a micro dot somewhere on the surface of planet Malteser, but nonetheless very significant. Would you now imagine your Malteser is a neutron? It's one of the particles that makes up an atom, and if you've got the neutron, your Malteser in your hand, just have a look at it, one single atom is about the size of this building. Put a million of these building atoms together side by side, and you have roughly the width of a human hair. And God has numbered the hairs on every head. Psalm 8, the songwriter had it right. God, when I consider your heavens, when I consider the work of your fingers, we might say from, from galaxy to neutron, what are mere mortals that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. How could we ever find such a God? let alone begin to relate to such a God. Well, of course, we couldn't. We can't. That's, by the way, why we resort to lesser gods, isn't it? So often, like, money and sex and power and football and celebrity and name your God. Or we twist subtly the creator of the universe into a more comfortable God of our own making. Maybe a bit mysterious. Maybe he's a bit like the uncle that we occasionally call up when we're in a bit of a problem, but otherwise quietly ignore and get on with our lives. No, we can't find this God. But that's the point of Christmas. That is the wonder of Christmas. God coming to find you and me. And in a way that we can identify with, of course, God in disguise, he would have to be, wouldn't he? God in human form. And why? Almost too obvious to say, but we need to hear ourselves say it again and again, for love to communicate the wonder of his love. He made us to love us. It's why we're here. He made you to love you, to draw you into relationship with him. And he came in order to meet these most personal and profound of our wonderings. No, emphatically no, you are never alone. And yes, the real you is really known, completely. And the real you is really, really loved. Without condition, without limit, by the God of everything whose hands flung stars into space. About a month ago, a young man from this church, follower of Jesus, was walking around town looking for people to, to bless and, uh, and to pray for, just to see if he could bring something of God into their lives. And he saw a young woman sitting on a bench somewhere. And she looked sad. He went up to her, said, is there something I can do? And by, and by the way, if God was real and he could do anything for you, what, what would you ask him? What would you say to him? And she, said, she looked sad and she said, to change my life. And she added, and I would ask him why he took my baby. Turned out that she had very sadly had a, a miscarriage um, quite recently in the previous weeks. A young man took a bit of a gulp, but pressed on sensitively. 
And he said this, well, I don't think that God did take your baby. I, I, I believe that God is a giver of life and not a taker. And personally, I believe that he would want you to know his comfort. He would want you to know his presence in your pain. He would want you to know something of his love in this moment. About 40 minutes before this, as he had been setting off into town, he had prayed to God that God would give him some kind of image or a word or a verse or a picture or something that would be meaningful in the time that he was going to spend in the town. And he'd looked up and he'd seen the letter L and a name had come into his head. It was the, <clears throat> the name Louis, boy's name. It came back to him in this moment and he, he, he dared sensitively to, to press on with the lady that he was, he was quietly talking to. And he said, um, can I ask, did you know the sex of your baby? She said, yes. He said, was it a boy? She said, yeah. He said, did you give him a name? She said, yeah. He took another deep breath. Was it Louis? Yes, it was. As you can imagine, there'd be many tears in that moment and the conversation went on, but the young man found himself able to say this. I just feel that you need to know this is God wanting to communicate that you're not alone and that God sees, and that God knows, and that God cares, and that God loves, and he wants you to know his love. Begin relationship with him for yourself. See, the God of all creation enters into the mess and muck of our broken world as a baby in a smelly Palestinian cow shed to say to each one of us, you're not alone, you're really known, you're really loved, and you needn't doubt the wonder of my love. You can know it, you can know me, and it will transform your life. That would be my story, be the story of many here. Bit by bit, beginning to transform life, I, as it were, open the, 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 the door to my inner world, my heart, to the love of Jesus. At the age of about eight, it's been a journey of ups and downs. Of course, it has since then. About three years ago, I'd say, particularly painful episode in life, a variety of things came together. My wonderful dad died at around about the same time that uh, some close friendships were pretty smashed up, around about the same time as some of my young adult children were leaving home, around about the same time as many of us know in this place something of a, of a metaphorical bomb went off in the community of faith here. It was tough. And in tough times, you find out, don't you, what you really believe and what you can really rely on and who you can really rely on. And in all of it, the love of God, my Father, expressed in a thousand different ways, has been, continues to be, the anchor that holds me, the most extraordinary gift. And you see, only the birth of Jesus only the life of Jesus, only the death of Jesus, only the resurrection to new life of Jesus can do all of this and makes this possible. I used to be a teacher. I went into a class full of bright 12-year-olds and I asked the question, so why did Jesus come? What do you think? Why do you think Jesus came? And a few hands went up. First hand went up. He said, sir, uh, he came to teach. And I said, well, no person has ever, no man has ever taught like Jesus Christ. His teaching is revered across the world in every culture from that time to this. That's not primarily why he came. Sir, he came to do miracles. Well, no man has ever done the miracles that Jesus has done, but even that wasn't the main reason that he came. Sir, he came to show us how to live. Well, Jesus lived the perfect life is an extraordinary example of what it means to be the perfect and complete human being. He showed us in human form what God the Father is like. Even that's not the whole story, though. 
not the complete reason that he came. This little hand at the back of the class finally went up. Sir, he came to die. It's right, isn't it? That was part of the, the divine plan all along, hatched in the loving heart of God the Father. The only way to deal with the, the brokenness and the rubbish and the stuff that accumulates in my heart and yours and separates us from living, loving relationship with a living, loving God. See, we can't actually separate Christmas from Easter much as we might like to. The baby in the wooden manger, he grows up to become the man nailed to a wooden cross. And as much as we prefer to dwell on the twinkly, shiny prettiness of the Christmas tree, because it's much more cozy and it's much more comfortable and it doesn't demand anything of us, the real Christmas story inescapably leads to a different kind of tree. Bare, brutal, outside a city wall 2,000 years ago, and that one does demand a response. So again, how much do you know the wonder of his love? How are you being changed by it, bit by bit? Paul wrote to a bunch of people in Ephesus, which I always think uh, was a little bit like Cheltenham in its day. And he wrote to them to say that, He prayed that they'd be rooted and established in this love of God and they would be enabled to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. And to know this love, the word there means to experience it, to feel it in felt reality, not just mentally assent to a loving God, but to know it. This love which, he says, surpasses knowledge, which you couldn't possibly know, like a wasp trying to understand the internet. Wide, long, high, deep, wide enough to be everywhere. There's no place on the planet that God's love isn't, including your home. It's in the seedy nightclub and the private school and the betting shop and the the housing estate and the mansions on the hill and the mosque and the brothel and the university and the cathedral and the stadium and the squat. It's in the place of the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich. Wherever there is a person, seven billion of them, including you, There is the love of God. And we say, I don't feel it, I don't see it. It doesn't make it not real. Can't see the the radio waves passing through this room right now, passing through our own bodies, but with the right receiving equipment and turning that on, they become real enough. I wonder if you've asked ever to know the love of God. Long enough to last forever. Well, that marks it out, doesn't it? God's love, long enough to last forever. That makes it so different from ours. Unfortunately, our love seems to wear out or or get thin in in, in places. It's what leads to to breakups and conflict and people estranged from each other and, and all of that. God's love never, ever does that. You may have chosen to ignore him to this point in life. You may reject him, you may ridicule him, but God will always love you. Why? Because he made you to love you. His love is high enough to deal with all my pride and self-absorption because of Jesus, because of that cross. He looks beyond all of that stuff. He's dealt with all of that. My pride, my self-centeredness, my rebellion, my consumerism, my materialism, all my isms, all the stuff that gets in the way. What does he offer? New forgiveness, new life, new dreams, new destiny, new purpose, new purpose for living, even new purpose for dying and deep enough to handle anything. Always need to say these kinds of things gently. I don't want to be glib. I'm a reasonably pastoral kind of a guy. There'll be people in the room going through very, very difficult things. 
And whether that's now, whether that's some point in the past or will be some point in the future, you need to know God's love is deeper still. His everlasting arms are underneath. His love is deep enough to handle anything. So wide and long and high and deep. Would you take a final look at your imaginary Malteser? That's now you, imagine, uniquely you. I think a Malteser about the size of a, an eight-week eight human infant inside its mother's womb. Again, the ancient songwriter puts it like this, God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The wonders of your love for me. It's as though God says, I, I've seen you from the very beginning. I saw you take your first breath. I heard you take your first cry. I've watched every second of your life. I've never turned my back on you. I've always been there. I've seen the pain that you've gone through. I've seen the hurts that you've caused to yourself and indeed to others. I've seen the highs and the lows and the good times and the bad times and the boring times and the in-between times. I've seen the grief. I've seen the loss. I've seen the adventures. I've seen the dreams. I've been there every moment. And whether you know it or not, I love you because I made you to love you. Friends, this is a life changer, literally, isn't it? This is a life changer. It's also a world changer. To know the wonder of his love, to grow in the experience of the love of God, at work, at home, in the car, in the park, on the bench, at the gym, that is to be transformed bit by bit, day by day, year by year. It is to feel accepted and never ashamed. It's to feel secure in who I am as a son or a daughter of a loving heavenly father not constantly trying to earn his approval or the approval of others and build myself up into some kind of identity that I don't need or have. It makes me free to be bold in bringing my needs to him. It makes me free to know a peace even in the pain and the stuff that I can't understand. It enables me to have joy even in times of uncertainty, courage to take bigger risks. And I find that my worry begins to be replaced by worship. My judgment and my criticism begins to turn instead to praise and thanks as the love of God is released more and more as I become more and more aware of it. See, the human problem, I'll end with this, the human problem is not that we don't love God, although that's a part of it. I'm going to say, and I'll say it as strongly as this, the biggest problem on the planet is that we don't grasp just how much he loves us. It can change. I'd say it must change. The wonder of his love is not a secret. It became visible in a stable in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus for you and for me. You see, we're a part of it. The Christmas story, it's for now. Amen. Shall we just pray a moment? <clears throat> Father, we're thanking you that this is no ordinary story. We thank you for your supreme gifts of life and blessing and excitement and joy. Lord, thank you for all that is good about Christmas that we enjoy. Thank you that you are the origin of every good gift, so generous and loving as a father. Most of all, 
oh God, we thank you for your incredible gift of yourself, your self-giving nature, the wonders of your love that would seek us out, knock on our door, a love that we can respond to. God, I'm asking, we're asking that you would reveal more of your love and that we would be embracing of more of who you are. And we pray that your love would continue to change hearts, our hearts, and would change your world. And we're asking it in the name of the one who came, your son Jesus. Amen.